Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20, and the title of the message this morning is Questions About Our Trials. Questions About Our Trials. And when we come to this section of Scripture, we've seen uh, already in this 12th chapter of Genesis, we've seen that Abram was called to leave his home place, Ur of the Chaldees. He went north to Haran, and then he went across and came down into Canaan. And so God has called him. He was obedient. He obeyed God's call. That's where we pick up uh, today. And uh, we start in verse uh, 10. Uh, Abram had been building altars. He'd been calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, We saw last week where there were several times where he was involved in public worship. He was in public places worshiping the God that he now knew to be the one true and living God. But when we pick up in verse 10, here's what happens. Let's read down through verse 20. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you're my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. And the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and uh, commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. Uh, He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, uh, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. And so Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Father, we ask for your help now as we preach your word. I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, uh, fill me with your spirit, anoint me for this time. And then, Lord, I pray that every listener here would have attentive ears and receptive hearts to your precious word. Lord, I pray that it would get down into our very being and change us and help us to see things that we need to see today. Holy Spirit of God, be our teacher in this hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see this great man of faith, Abram, later would be called Abraham, uh, a man that the Bible would call the friend of God. And he's being tested here with a great trial. And so there's something here for us to see and learn about the trials that come into our lives. And uh, one of the things, of course, that we take note of immediately is that that there are trials in all of our lives. They come into our lives. And I want this to be very practical today. I want to answer some questions about the trials that come into our lives. Uh, When you look at this passage, there's a lot of different ways to preach it. I heard a number of them this week. 
A lot of times pastors and preachers try to make this about an ethical issue, whether he should have lied in order to preserve his life and all of that. But I think there's something really more, there's something deeper here, something more foundational here that we need to look at today. And so I've got five questions that I want to ask about our trials. When, what, how, who, and why? Those are the questions about our trials. Now, the first one we want to see is this, the when of our trials. And we see that in, in verse 10. When do our trials occur? And we could take some, some note here in verse 10. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell. That word dwell there means to sojourn. Uh, it's not, uh, not talking about he's going there to be home, but it's just a place that he's stopping off uh, at. It's, it's not, a, not a home, but it's a place where he will stay for a while. And he uh, would dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, several things I want us just to take note of as we talk about the win of our trials. First of all is this, Abram had obeyed God. God had called him, said, leave Leave your home. I'm going to show you a land. I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to bless you in great ways. And, and Abram had obeyed. He had obeyed, it seems like, just immediately when God called him. Uh, there was a severe famine, though. When he arrives in Canaan, uh, in Canaan uh, Abram and his family were confronted with a severe, not just a famine, but a severe famine. And so you have to kind of put yourself in Abram's shoes for just a moment. What about that? What, it doesn't make any sense. God's called me. I followed him. I'm trying to live in, in obedience to him. And I show up and the first thing that I'm confronted with is a severe famine. And so he takes his family and he heads down to Egypt, uh, probably because that's where the Nile River was and there was a great uh, delta there, there's a very fertile farmland that was there that was always productive. Uh, when we lived in North Mississippi a number of years ago, we were right at the very edge of the Mississippi Delta. In fact, you could drive just a few miles from our home and you would see right where it dropped off into that Mississippi Delta. And you could look out across the Delta. It was like being up on a mountainside. As you looked across, you would see the rich black soil and, and, uh, you know, what a, what a sight that was to see there in the Mississippi River Delta in such fertile land. Well, that's probably the reason. That's where food would be. He had to feed his family. A man is responsible for feeding his family. And so up until this point, uh, no problem. Abram's doing everything that uh, God would expect him to do. But it leads us to think about something, and that is, when will trials occur? When will they occur in our lives? And first thing I want to say is that they will occur. Amen. No one is immune. And we're talking to this morning primarily about believers. This, this entire message is, is directed at believers. And even as believers, we are not immune from the trials of life. Sometimes people who first come to the Lord, they think, well, everything's going to be just a bed of roses from here on. Well, I want to tell you from my own experience, and I'm looking at some of you, I want to tell others from your experience that that is not true. When you come to know Christ, as a matter of fact, the, the, the exact opposite of that could be true because you know Christ and you love Christ and you want to live for Christ. It could be that you'll face more problems 
uh, because of that. And so they will come, and we're not immune. You're either, someone said it like this, as a believer, you're either in a trial right now, or you're coming out of a trial, you've just come out of one, or you may soon be going back into one. And I believe that that is true. Secondly, they'll come when we least expect it. Uh, Unexpected, suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere. You're going along in life and you turn a corner. You're not expecting it. You're expecting everything just to continue as it was and you're you're faced headlong with a trial. I heard uh, not long ago about a young football player at the University of California. He was 22 years old. Uh, in the prime of life, he was a great athlete, a great student. By all accounts, he had a great future ahead of him. And one day he just went in for a routine doctor's exam and they discovered that he had brain cancer. And in just a very short amount of time, uh, he died. Who could understand such a thing as that? And his grandparents had said, how do you get over something like that? They had been... Uh, they had been in the concentration camps. His grandparents had been in concentration camp in uh, Germany. Uh, but uh, now they were faced with this, and they said, we don't know how we'll ever get over this. We got over the time that we had to spend in those camps, but how will we ever get over this? The third thing that we just need to take note of is it will happen when, when we are obeying God, right when we are in the middle of obeying God, right when we're following Him and we're trying to live for Him. And that's when trials will come. But here's the ultimate thing that I want to say. Those trials will come when God has planned them for our lives. That's when they will come. Right when God has planned them for our lives. There are no random events or circumstances that come into our lives. God is working. We know God is working all things together for our good and for His glory. And that's what we have to stand on. God, nothing that happens in our lives, it may surprise us. It may take us by surprise, but it does not surprise God. It was planned for us before the foundation of the world. And so we don't know when they will occur, but we know they will. And we shouldn't let it surprise us when they do. And so that's the when of our trials. Secondly, we want to see the what. Well, let me see here. The what of our trials. That's in verses 11 and 12 verses 11 and 12 and so here we want to see what is the nature of our trials at a spiritual level what makes it a trial or a test spiritually a lot of people go through difficulties but just because you're going through a difficulty doesn't mean that it's a trial it becomes a trial when there's a spiritual element involved in it now verses 11 and 12 uh, Abram and his family are on their way to Egypt And I would imagine Abram had a lot of time to think as he went along. He was either walking or he might have been on a camel or donkey or something like that. But he had a lot of time to think on his way to Egypt. He had enough trouble already. But here's what he does. He begins to borrow trouble from the future. And he begins to think about his wife and he says, you know, she's beautiful. Now, she was 65 years old at this time. But according to all of our previous study, we know that, that there, was a, there was still at this point an aging, there was a slowdown in the aging process. So he was probably more like the equivalent of our modern day 
35 to 40 years old, something of that nature. She would live to be 127 years old, but she was beautiful. And he begins to think about it, and so he begins to have this fear. And, and he, he thinks of it in these terms. Look in verse 11, he says, It came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Now, he's thinking ahead, <laughs> but what he's doing, he has no way of knowing that this is what is going to happen. But he begins to, to borrow trouble from the future, and he begins to have the fear of this thing happening. And that's what makes a, tri- that's what makes a difficult situation a trial is when it begins to be an issue of whether we're going to trust God. God had given Abram a promise. He said, if you will obey me, I will take care of you. You will become a, I'll give you a great name. You will have this land and your descendants will have this land. And you'll be preserved in it. But here he begins to have to, to try to scheme and try to plot how he's going to deal with things when he gets to Egypt. And so that's what makes, a, that's what makes trouble a trial or a test for us. When it's our fear versus our faith, our trust versus unbelief. And the question is this, are we going to believe that God has our best interest at heart? Our fear goes to war against our faith and our enemy uses fear. And folks, a lot of times when we're in that battle, we're not dressed for battle. I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we want to look at verses 10 through 18. And you know these verses, we're familiar with them. But the longer I live, the more I would say that you, you don't need to get too far from your understanding of these verses. It is so important when we get up in the morning that we dress for battle. Because whether we realize it or not, we are in a battle. You're in a battle. Every day, you're in a battle. You may not recognize it, but the enemy wants to trip you up. The enemy wants to get you to doubt God's Word. And so, Paul here, as he writes to the Ephesians, he talks here about the spiritual armor that we need to put on. And all I have time to do really is just read through this, but I just want want us to go over it again. Uh, we've probably, most of you have probably been over these verses many times in your life, but it's something to think about every day of your life. He says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's the key to it all. Be strong in the power of His might. And then he says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And that's just a hierarchy of uh, of demons there that are part of Satan's army. And he says in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, And having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, the truth of God's Word, 
is what it means. The truth about Jesus Christ. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then look at what he says next. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And we'll stop right there because a lot of times when Paul is writing, you just have to find a place to jump off and, and stop. But, but that's a good place to stop. We, we, we come before God every day understanding that we're in a battle, understanding that we need to fight the battle in His strength. And so the, the what of our trials is this. God presents us with some event, some circumstance in life, and He says, are you going to trust me in this? Are you going to trust me or are you going to give in to your doubts and your fears? And that's exactly what was confronting Abram at this point. Now the third thing is this, and that is the how of our trials in verses 13 through 16. How are we going to approach the trial as, as far as what we're going to do about it? And here's where a trial can become a temptation. We're tempted to jump in and take the reins and take over. We're tempted to launch out on our own and be independent of God and come up with our own schemes and plans. We're going to see a lot of that in the book of Genesis. We're going to see in the life of Jacob in particular. He was a schemer. Everything he did until a certain point, he was just a schemer. But here we see that's exactly what Abram did. He fails this test. He tells Sarah, uh, Sarai in verse 12 there, he says, Say you're my sister. He tells her to say, you know, if anybody confronts us here, you say you're my sister. That it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Now, I've just got to stop right here and say, what a guy. <laughs> I mean, what a, what a man. <laughs> uh, let's give him the man of the year award. He, he, he's not thinking about her at all, is he? Only thinking about himself. The other day, and I, I just, just happened, this just happened as I was studying this part of the text. I was in, in the Greer's parking lot. Linda had to run in and get something. And I saw this big burly man come walking by, and right behind him was his wife, his little wife. And she had three bags of groceries draped over this arm and three over this arm, and she's following him. And I said, well, surely they're not together, but they were. And at least he opened the door for her, I just have to say. You know, at least he did that. That's kind of how you want to feel about Abram here. Now, I don't believe Abram intended for it to play out the way he did, uh, the way that it did. He was... He was Right about what happened, his thoughts were correct that, that they were going to see Sarai and say that she's beautiful and, and, uh, and all of that. But he, he thought that there would be a way uh, to avoid what it ultimately came to because some of Pharaoh's men reported back to him and they took her, of course, uh, into Pharaoh's house. And uh, in verse 16, uh, he was enriched by... Pharaoh. Now, there's a verse that I think goes here that would, would have gone here for Abram, and it goes here in our lives as we face the trials of life. And it's Psalm 4610. And Psalm 4610 says this Be still and know 
that I am God. And that is a great verse. A lot of times that verse gets kind of taken out of context and it's, it's used to tell people, well, you need to have a devotional life, you need to be still and spend time with God in the morning and, 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 and know that He's God. Well, that's true. That is true. But that's not what that verse is talking about. If you look at that verse in its context, which we will in just a few minutes, but that verse is actually talking about when you're confronted with some major issue in your life like this. Don't feel like you've always got to go out and scheme and plan and plot how it's going to all work out. That's our natural tendency, isn't it? We want to run ahead and we want to just figure it out ourselves and be independent of God. But what the Scripture is telling us there in Psalm 46.10 is be still and know that I'm God. And there's far too little of Psalm 46.10 in our lives. Now let me hasten to say there are times when we must act. Uh, God would have us to take action. But there are times when the very best thing we can do is to just be still and wait on God. Would you say amen to that this morning? And so that's the the how of our trials. We've got to move quickly to the fourth thing, and that is the who of our trials. And this is a blessed point here because it says there in verse 17 that the Lord intervened. And folks, our God is a God who intervenes. He doesn't just leave us to our own devices. Even when we mess up sometimes like Abram was doing here. God didn't didn't let Abram's mistake have the full effect of, of, of what it possibly could have had. But God intervenes. And it says there in verse 17, But the Lord plagued. That just means that He struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Abram had failed Sarai, but God didn't fail her. And He didn't fail Abram. He was true to those promises that He had given him back there in verse 2 of this chapter. And our God is a God who intervenes. He's a God who strikes. He's a God who goes to war for His people when they can't go to war for themselves. And I want to ask you now to turn to Psalm 46. I want us just to read this as part of, the, of our Bible study time this morning. I think this will really bless you if you'll turn in your Bible and just look. It's Psalm 46. I'm going to read all 11 verses. And that's really all I have time to do. I don't have time to comment much on this, but you just pay attention as I read and, and let the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God, speak to your heart. Here's the, here's the psalm. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, even though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord. 
who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. And folks, as the people of God, that all applies to us. And what a wonderful promise that gives us of the fact that our God, He's the who of our trials. It is not about us. We think everything is about us. You know, we stub our toe. We think it's all about us, just with a throbbing big toe. But I want to tell you, the trials of life that we go through are not ultimately about us, as strange as that may seem. They apply to us, and we learn from them, and we grow from them. But ultimately, the purposes of the trials, and we're going to talk about it in just a moment, the final point, but the the purpose of our trials is so that God could be exalted and glorified through it. And that people would see Him. They would see what He does in our lives. And so He is the who of our trials. And then finally, I want us to see the why of our trials. Verses 18 through 20. Why is it that a believer's life is so filled with trials? Verses 18 through 20. Now somehow Pharaoh knew in these verses, he knew that he was struck by God because of Sarai. And in verse 19, we see that God protected Sarai in all of this. Why did you say she is my sister? Pharaoh asked Abram. I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. And so what had happened is that Sarai had been taken into the home. And at some point, she would have been called in to Pharaoh. We're studying on Wednesday night about Esther. And we've seen that they didn't just do that immediately when a woman would be taken in to be part of what we would call a harem uh, like that or a harem. Uh, there There was time that would go by. And so in the meantime, God intervenes and God strikes these plagues upon Pharaoh. And he recognizes that it's from Abram's God. And so Pharaoh gave Abram an escort of men to to guide him out of the country. Now here's what I want us to think about. Abram, Abram had a lot of time to think going into the country, into Egypt. But he had a lot of time to think coming out of the country as well. And you wonder what, just, just, just go along with me for a minute as we walk with Abram. You wonder what he's thinking about. He's got a lot of time to think. For one thing, Sarah is not talking to him at that point. I would be pretty, pretty sure. And so he's thinking things like this. No doubt he's ashamed of himself. What, what, what is this all about? He was thinking. He's thinking, what, God, why did this have to happen? We, we followed, we came all the way around the desert and came down into Canaan and there's a famine and we come into this trial. What is it all about? Why did God allow me to go through this? But he might have eventually, as he walked along, begun to think about, what have I learned about myself? And there's a couple of passages I want to end with today. It's James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Look at this uh, on the screen with me. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see it there? That's the purpose. God wants to bring us to maturity. And I want to tell you, if we always succeed, if we pass every test, if we're always just doing the right thing, and if, if we don't ever have any trials, we'll never reach maturity. God brings them there to bring us to maturity. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, the scripture tells us this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And then in verse 14 it says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part He is blasphemed, but on your part He is glorified. And folks, that's, that's the purpose. That's the reason why we have the trials. It's for our sanctification. But it's also so that ultimately God will receive the glory from our lives. And that we will look to Christ. We will learn to look to Christ as we face the trials of life, knowing that He will never let us down. There was an occasion where the apostles had gathered around the Lord Jesus. And they said this to Him. They said, Lord... Increase our faith. And he answered that prayer. But it wasn't an easy road that they walked to get that answer. And I want to tell you this morning, neither is it for us. But if we'll walk with Christ, even through the trials of life, he will be continually, continually refining us like gold in the fire. And He will be glorifying Himself through us. I want to ask you just to bow for just a moment. I know we've gone a little over this morning. But I want to, I want to make one final application. Sometimes God allows people who are not believers to go through the trials of life. And what he's doing, and there's many people that have this testimony, uh, the, the testimony that they're going through life, they're not even thinking much about God, not giving Him the glory that's due Him as their Creator. God is sort of in their life, but is not, not, really, not, not really in charge of their life in any way. They occasionally think about Him. But then some trial comes in, in a person's life. And they begin to think about God. They begin to think about eternity. And God can use, in the lives of some people, He can use that trial to get their attention and to help them to see their great need of Him and ultimately to help them see that the only way that they can have Him really in their life is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And there may be someone here today, and you know, as far as I know, everyone that's here knows the Lord. I don't know anybody's heart, but there may be someone, maybe even if you've been a church member for many years, 
And really as you allow God's Spirit to speak to your heart right now, that's, that's really your story. God is kind of in your life, but you've never truly come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. And I would say today, it, don't wait for some great trial to come to get your attention. Allow God's Spirit to have your attention right now. And allow His Word and, and, and the work of the Spirit to have, have way in your heart today. And don't put it off. Come to Christ today. You know, it's a wonderful thing to know that your sins are forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross. It's not your good life. It's not going to church. It's not being a member of a church. It's not being baptized or taking the Lord's Supper. It's not doing good deeds. You may be the best person in the Grand Bay community, but none of that will do you any good when you stand before God someday. The only thing that will avail in that day is whether or not you've come to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Won't you come to Jesus today and be saved? Father, I pray if there's anyone here, even one person, who does not know you as Savior, Lord, we know the only way that they'll ever be saved is by the power of Your Spirit. And so, Lord, by Your Spirit, would You so work in their life that You would draw them all the way to saving faith. For we pray it in Jesus' name.